0: Warning, the second half of today's episode is extremely focused on gear, particularly bonnets. It's about to get...
1: Welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod, the podcast where we get behind people's music. I'm your host, Ashley Grace vendel and joining me on the other side of the interweb is uh, Chris. Chris, welcome.
2: Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, everybody.
1: How are you uh, doing?
2: I'm, I'm I'm doing fine. It's the first sunny day in a lot of days, and I enjoyed it. I think I'll take a long walk. And- <laughs> it's not sounding very exciting but yeah i'm looking forward to it how's, i mean
1: in, in these times walks are the most exciting thing ever like i understand why dogs now look forward to walks <laughs> <Yeah>. or,
2: <laughs> how's the weather on your side how's your how's your how's your morning so far because it's the first time we speak to each other in the morning early in the morning even after time
1: change exactly so yeah at the time of recording it's just uh been that we've um amended the clocks for summertime so we all lost an hour of sleep um and we had to readjust a few things yeah it's fine it's completely knocked my daughter's sleep schedule off which i'm looking forward to for the rest of of today but otherwise good and it's quite nice weather here so you're because you're based slightly out of berlin right just to explain to listeners we're not we're not near each other really sadly no you're in a What's the town called? Wildau. Wildau. Uh, it's which is technically be- Brandenburg, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's Brandenburg. Um, it's the almost the last stop on the Berlin um, S-Bahn Nets, what's it called in English? A train net. <laughs> the
1: train the train network. Yeah, train but, network. But, Thank you. But haven't you got a, um, in the future, out where you are, because there's a huge shopping mall. I didn't think too far away from you, right? Yeah, Going it's
2: the, the Art scene Center, but it's well, it's a huge shopping mall. It's basically just where all the shit that doesn't get sold in Berlin goes.
1: <laughs> Are they building a massive uh, Tesla factory out there? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that's that's um, that's um, up north a bit, um, like the, the the northeast of Berlin. Arkena uh, is a big, um, like, a quite known place close to that. Yeah, the Tesla dude—it's huge. Have you have you seen it?
1: No, no, it, not yet.
2: It's crazy, massive. I, we just drove past it. Uh, I think the day before yesterday. Holy crap! Enormous. I know, I know a guy who who um, applied for a job there, but he didn't get it.
1: Oh, oh wow! Well, I don't enough. know if
2: I would like to work for Elon Musk. I think the guy's super cool, but I th- he must be crazy, right? You, you're not that smart about I mean, being th- insane.
1: Exactly. I think you fall into one of two camps with Elon Musk. I either think he is an actual genius who we need to worship, or he or he is a uh, villain from a James Bond movie. And <laughs> we need to all be really scared of him. Like I'm. I'm not sure which actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a strange thing though. Elon Musk. I don't actually understand the hero worship of him. I think it's. Uh, yeah, I think he's a very intelligent guy who clearly comes up with lots of cool ideas but it's um, it's not necessarily a work ethic I think we should be teaching people, which is work as hard as possible all the time to make as much money as possible. Mm. Just not something I massively agree with, but you know easy for me to say not being a billionaire So, Do
2: you like his cars?
1: Are you a car person? I am a car person but um, not as much as I used to be when I was a teen, but I think that's the same for most guys. Um but I, I, yeah, I'd like a Tesla actually very much so, but mainly for the performance and the technology.
2: Mm-hmm. Driving with your it. hands off,
1: yeah, that and just the speed of it, just the actual acceleration It's crazy. Oh, you're a
2: speed freak, right?
1: Yeah, I am. Gonna Whoa. go, f- it, which doesn't come across in my demeanor, but I love no, going. No, it doesn't. F- I love going fast everywhere, <laughs> even walking. I'm like, can we walk fast? <laughs> 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 Let's get some adrenaline pump in here. So what's coming up on the show today? We're going to catch up with a couple of cool stories from Chris in a minute. It's been quite the week for you and uh, there's been some new purchases you're going to tell us about and then another really unfortunate gig booking episode. So we'll talk about that quickly in a second. Then, Chris, I've got a list of bands for you because we've been doing this fact or fiction thing and someone called Oliver wrote in to send us this article from Rolling Stone about bands' names that are terrible but are actually real. So that's going to be interesting. We'll uh, do that in a bit. We're also going to hear some uh, reviews and some thoughts on some music from Daft Punk. We're going to hear a bit on Cheers to My Haters, an EP released by Birgit Jones, and uh, a few other tracks that I've come across this week, including Soundgarden and Courtney Barnett. And then we're going to talk to Mihal from Ibi Register, which is the attempt to document, talk about, make videos about, and review every single Ibanez guitar ever made. I don't actually know how many that is but I'm guessing it's over a hundred it must be so um
2: I don't think gonna, that's even
1: close exactly it, it's <laughs> gonna be quite a lot so we'll talk to him a little bit later on plus we'll submit a song to the desert island playlist and that's what's coming up today
3: Ash you're, you're
2: you''re a British person I'm a German person what do we have in common we have two things in common I think in general like Germans and Brits okay what would that be
1: i don't know what two things in common are but i guess one thing we i don't know oh two things in common aside from historical rivalries because <laughs> uh, that would be too obvious but then where how do those rivalries manifest themselves? so football i guess is yeah. probably one what's another one then what's the second one though beer Beer, uh, that's very true. <laughs> okay, football and beer—I'd say they are yeah. two things we do very much have in common. Yes. Yeah.
2: Are you a football fan? A soccer I mean, fan for the American folks? I mean,
1: in the sense that I know what is happening a little bit, but not not really.
2: So I, I don't. I don't know shit about football. So I was asked by a. Well, I got. I don't know the word. What's it? Someone, someone told um, a football team we're looking for a jingle for their podcast to ask me to write them the jingle, produce and write the jingle. And they
1: commissioned you to do it.
2: They commissioned. Thank you. Yeah, that's a cool word. I need to learn that. So they asked me, "Could you could you do that?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course I can do that." Um, this is the second time, like I am writing a, a theme song for for like a sports team or sports guy. The first one was the wrestling dude Chris Opus the magnum opus song which I think was you...
1: cool i love <laughs> that you. i actually really like that song as well even though it's quite a simple sort of i guess uh-huh. drop d sort of riff but yeah but but <laughs> Stupid i really simple but i really like it because it is just fun like um, <laughs> thank
2: you i think you even put it in the last episode for a snippet i don't know
1: yeah i'll, I'll patch a snippet in now
2: So when I asked them, okay, what would you like to, what would you need for, for the podcast? What's, what's, what kind of music do you have in mind for a football podcast? They were like, reggae. And I was like, well, (laughs) how's, how's reggae connected to football? Like, yeah, I don't even know what kind of music would I connect to football? I think, well, stadium chants, like the, so they told me because they are located in Belsenbrück, which is, close to Osnabrück I think I don't know somewhere in Germany they have one of the if not the biggest reggae festivals in Germany over there wow mhm that's the reason why they wanted me to like compose reggae and i i don't know shit about football and i don't know shit about reggae <laughs> so i'm the i'm the perfect motherfucker <laughs> for this commission i'm
1: just so glad they commissioned you wonderful like a theremin kind of like doctor who sound yeah.
3: that comes
1: in <laughs> after a little while <laughs> that's the that's, that's the uh the odyssey uh, kind of cool yeah i kind of liked cool. it but i actually think it fits a football podcast quite well cool. um so yeah
2: so they implemented it they were super satisfied with it and the guy i spoke to like my 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 contract partner who who uh, I've, I've who dealt with me, <laughs> me with him? He was super nice? His name is Mark, and he's the host of the podcast. So, if you are a football fan and you like podcasts, give it definitely give it a listen because Mark he's like he's super rela- chill. He's a chill guy. They have three episodes out as of this uh, moment. It is the end of March. What so, is the yeah.
1: podcast called?
2: It is. German. Der Kleinstadt Club Podcast from TUS Bersenbrück. I think you need to put that in the description
1: because it's pretty yeah. long. It's gonna be pretty long and it's gonna be in German. But it's yeah,
2: it's in German. And it basically like they have guests on there, but all from out of out of the city, out of the like the the sports uh, clubs, not only just football, but at TUS it means basically Ton and Sport Ton und Sportverein, which can be, I think, uh, other sports as well, like volleyball and running and whatever. So yeah, I think it's it's a cool podcast for, for people who are into healthy stuff and, and sports and football and and reggae, of course.
1: And reggae. You know, mm. the, 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 that football fan that just likes a bit of everything.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> and smokes a shit ton of weed every day. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you are listening, perhaps uncaringly, to BPM Pod with Ashley and Chris. And yes, this is an automated message, because fuck paying for nice things.
1: still to come later on the show we're going to talk to mihal from Ibby register we'll do a few reviews as well but first before we jump into that we're going to reflect a little bit on the fact or fiction segments we've had the previous weeks now chris we've been grilling each other on fake or real band names and seeing how good we are at identifying them and we also grilled chance and moves johnson on these as well um and they did Inevitably, they did much better than either of us. <laughs> uh, I was sent this this week, and um, it's by a listener called Oliver. Thank you very much for sending this over. And he sent a Rolling Stone article from a few years ago, and it's of the worst band names ever. But it's the original band names of bands. So they wanted to call themselves these really terrible band names. And then they became something else, okay? So there's 25 in the list. So I'm not going to do them all. Jesus but I'm going to go through the top 10 and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to read them out to you. And if you do have any inclination as to what that band became, what that actual band name ended up being, do tell me, but I don't think you're going to get any of them.
3: Fact or Fiction.
1: Okay, ready? So here we go. So cool, cool, number cool. ten, number ten is the band Soft White Underbelly. Any ideas what famous band that became? They all are famous bands, by the way.
2: Actually, think I've heard that one before. Soft White Underbelly.
1: Hmm. It's the original name of Blue Blue Oyster Cult. Right. Don't fear the Reaper. Uh, yeah. Those damn,
2: don't. it needs more cowbell.
1: Yeah, it does need more cowbell. <laughs> that should be that should be what they're called now. More cowbell. That's their band name. Uh, number nine was the Salty Peppers. I mean, the obvious thing would be they became the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? Exactly. Now, the Red Hot Chili Peppers do feature in this list later, so keep that in your head. Um, cool. That's a good guess. No, they were Earth, Wind and Fire. Uh, oh, right. Okay. PUD. P-U-D. PUD. Um... Can you do no, I'm some, just going to tell you. There's no way you're going to get it. They became the Doobie Brothers. Okay, I'll give you a little clue on them because this is going to be very difficult. Give me a genre or something. Exactly. I'll I'll give you a genre and a bit of a clue. Although I don't massively know what the genre of this is. I guess metal, (laughs) I think. Uh, Number seven, Burn the Priest. Burn the Priest. And it's a metal band. Mm. And they changed it in 1999. In
2: 1999. Okay, that has to be. Oh, because my first guess would have been Slayer, but they've been around for far longer. In 1999. They Burn play the satanic
1: priest? black metal. Uh, Demo Borgia? Lamb of God is the answer.
2: Lamb of God?
1: One. Yeah. This band, yeah. I don't know. So I'm just going to tell you it straight out. Uh, mm-hmm. Number six, the Rainbow Butt Monkeys became Finger Eleven. I don't know the band Finger Eleven.
2: No, never heard of them.
1: Never heard of them either. Another one I'm just going to tell you. Number five, the Shrinky Dinks became Sugar Ray. Again, never heard of them. These ones I'm going to get you to guess on now. These mm-hmm. ones, I'll, I'll take your guesses. Number four, which is just a, a fantastic band name, um, Tony Flo and the Miraculously Majestic Masters of Mayhem.
2: I've heard that one before as well. I've heard um, maybe Primus?
1: It's a band you mentioned earlier as a guess, oh. and it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Number three. Now, these are good. The top three are really good. The Polka-Tolk Blues Band. And this is a metal, heavy rock band from the 60s. I
2: know them. Um, hang on, is that Black Sabbath?
1: It is Black Sabbath. Yes! Well yeah. done. <laughs> I got one. You did. Um, Tommy Omi told uh, Ozzy Osbourne that it was a terrible name. He said, every time I hear it, all I can picture is you with your trousers around your ankles taking a fucking dump. <laughs> um,
3: so that was that. <laughs>
1: This is this is offensive, and I'm pretty sure listeners to the podcast will know we do swear, and actually we should try to cut down on it probably, but we do swear. But this, I think I'm going to bleep out purely because it's it's just a racist term. Okay. So, um, so you're going to have to do some Googling around this, but you will hear a beep in a minute, which kind of takes the fun out of this. Um, <laughs> and I don't think you should really guess it, because I think if you know this, it's kind of weird. Uh, the gold the name of the band and that became credence clearwater revival mainly because the is a uh, racist term <laughs> like that's is that's it why it's one of these um <laughs> you could just look at credence clearwater revival's previous name just search for that credence clearwater revival's previous name and you'll find it it became a a, a doll-like character was what they were named after that was produced in the late 19th century and became really popular in the 60s and 70s and it was this sort of black-faced doll character uh called yeah. and it, it was seen as racist at the time and is definitely seen as racist now so um <laughs> yeah that's uh probably good they changed the name although i'm a Jesus little bit Christ. confused as to why somebody picked it in the first place but times we
2: were different right <laughs>
1: But yeah, that's Holy a, crap. a pretty bad choice. Yep. And number one, now this, I don't think you're going to get, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Number one in the worst band names, original band names, Naked Toddler.
2: Naked Toddler.
1: Let's say this band is a sort of hard rock band from America, formed in the 90s. They were really, really big with like montage music. I think their song like My Sacrifice was one of their songs and it was used in montages all the time.
2: Okay. Oh, I have no idea.
1: They're they're kind of not cool to like. Creed... Creed is recognised as one of the most prominent acts of the post-grunge movement that began in the 1990s, however they've been negatively received by critics and listeners, with the band having been listed by readers of Rolling Stone as one of the worst artists of the 1990s. It's not for me. I I don't like them at all, actually.
2: There is a video about the very particular style they're singing in, Um, Yarling, Have you heard about that?
1: Yeah, so this was very big in the 90s as well, right? This whole sort of way of singing where it only sounds like you're kind of singing vowels. It's yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Eddie, Eddie Vedder uh, style. Yeah, but Eddie Vedder, at least you can understand what he says. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, so their band names, are band names that were actually, whatever, that actually turned out to be real, but they were really terrible. So, sort of my contribution to our fact and fiction segment, but you've got a little story for us that isn't fiction. There's some story that is kind of shocking and stunning, but a 100% fact mm-hmm. um, and it involves Nazis. <laughs> well, not this directly. Is n- not directly, but this is not a joke, this story. So tell us what happened with this.
2: So we were finally able to get a gig again for my band for the Whiteheart band um and it was uh, like a streaming show right uh live stream whatever should have been in the beginning of april but as it turned out the club and i'm not gonna name it or where it's located uh is known was known i don't know for supporting and booking white supremacist and neo-nazi bands (laughs) which is like super fucking bad in itself and what made it even worse is even if you're not into that stuff and i hope you're not like anybody (laughs) truly
1: hope you're not
2: uh once you get like get connected to that shit in any way that crap sticks on you like gum and i Mm. do not want to want to be like in any way be connected to that kind of shit In my, going back to my reggae jingle, whenever I do commissions, I actually add into my contracts a, like a, like a segment that my music will not be, or cannot be used for political motivated stuff, Mm. whatever Mm. it may be, left wing, right wing, I don't care. I don't want, I just don't want my music to be connected to politics.
1: How the hell did they even get any sort of sense from your music though, that this is what you're into you know like it just seems weird to me like how did that happen or do you just think it was a case of bad luck
2: I don't. well i i've I've heard about that club and i i don't it's been around for like
1: years and decades right
2: and it's not like there's all day every day people beating up foreigners right so they have bands played there that aren't connected to that kind of shit but i I think it's just a, a booking agent Basically got the gig and he didn't know any better. Uh, so no. who does a great job by the way, he's awesome. as uh, Alvaro. Um so no harm to him. Yeah, just <laughs>
1: say that's not shit on your booking actually. No, no no no,
2: he's he's great. He owes me a case of beer. So Alvaro, <laughs> if you're listening, pay up bitch. <laughs>
1: Still to come shortly on the episode, we're going to talk to Mihal from Ibi Register, the guy who has documented every Ibanez, Ibanez, Ibane, however we say it, guitar in the world, of which Chris is going to absolutely freak out about because I think you have a, a Prestige, right? Yeah, guitar. I have a
2: Prestige and a regular uh, RG model. So, so two,
1: yeah. It's going to be a break for me when he joins, because there's going to be very little, I need to say. But first, uh, we're going to dig into some things that we've heard in the past few weeks that we want to talk about and give a little review on. Chris, what have you uh, got to offer your thoughts on?
2: I need to check out more new music, because for the last weeks and months, I've been checking out older stuff, and not even that like super old, but early 2000s old. and. A couple of weeks ago, I think at the beginning of March or the end of February 2021, Daft Punk called it quits, which sucks. Like I've been I'm, I'm not like a super huge mega Daft Punk fan, but I used to work for the publisher that had Daft Punk under contract. So I got access to their Random Access Memory album when it came out and i've mm. been listening to that album since it got released and it's awesome mm. like mm. jesus christ the 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 production value is insane um so i've been checking out their older stuff and i got hooked on the discovery album which is from 2001 holy crap that's old mm. and the something about us
3: song I might not be the right one. It might not be the right time. But there's something about us I've got to. Do. Some kind of secret I will share with you.
2: I need you. Dude, this song, when this song plays, babies get made. <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's super sexy um they always had their like funk influences, and it's so cool like it's so it's so dry <laughs> she said um and they they always play around with their because they had that robot image right like Kraftwerk mm-hmm. in the uh, in early eighties or seventies what was it mm. and the way they like modulate their voices and try to find different ways to make robotic voices sound human so what's what's on what's on your list what's on your radar on your musical British radar
1: so I think um I don't necessarily think it's bad if we don't always listen to new stuff and I'm totally up for discovering things I lost um and so I've heard a few things that have sort of stayed in my mind for a while now that are a bit older and then I've also heard something new a couple of things I've been reintroduced to is uh, sound garden for example I never really got big into Soundgarden. Um, I knew Chris Cornell is or was, um, but I never massively got into Soundgarden. I knew about Audio Slave and I knew they existed, but I never really listened to them. Um, and it's funny how at different points in your life, these bands that you've sort of ignored come to you and then hmm. you didn't like them at the time, maybe when you first heard them or you didn't really get it. And then they come to you at another point and you're like, oh, this is great. Um, one of those bands for me was Queens of the Stone Age, actually. Um, I never massively liked them when I was younger, um, even as a teen. And that's despite liking music that was similar. I just didn't really get Queens of the Stone Age. I didn't really understand them. Um, And now as a sort of, now I'm a bit older, from my mid-twenties onwards, I've adored them. So it's really funny how you revisit these things. And one Mm -hmm. of them is Soundgarden, who I've really got into, but literally in the last few weeks. Um, And the song I've really enjoyed was Jesus Christ Pose, which is one of the... It's just an onslaught. Like it, I, I don't even know that it can be. It's a bit like what I mentioned the other week with this song "Candy Gun" by Mel Banana. It's like <laughs> I'm not sure I enjoy it, but there's something about it that I like. Like I don't know what it is, but there's an experience there somehow. Just watching live videos of a song that energetic and that frantic makes me really wish we could just get this fucking pandemic over with. Because to be in a crowd like that that's just going nuts and just sort of moshing about, dancing about, drinking and just having a good time would be, oh, I would kill for that. Yeah, uh, to amen. Be honest. Yes, another one is Courtney Barnett, Australian singer-songwriter, sort of a bit punky, a little bit deadpan. She doesn't really sing. She kind of talks. Like, instead of singing, she does some really impactful songs and she's quite a rambling sort of lyric person. They don't always rhyme, for example, all of her like verses and stuff like that. Um, I really like her a lot. And Mm -hmm. um, she released a song a few years ago called Nameless Faceless, which has just become big again. So it's kind of cool because it's just got it fits the current mood of talking about equality and feminism very well. Um so it's something I just sort of rediscovered and thought that's very apt even though it's a few years old. So a uh, bit of a different tone to Soundgarden which is let's just have as much noise as possible and get all of our anger out versus <laughs> this song which is about a quite a serious topic. So um that's that. But the thing I wanted to review this week was uh, Cheers to My Haters the EP from Friends of the podcast have been on here before, the wonderfully powerful, kick ass, badass female trio of uh, Birgit Jones. of these songs on their EP have been released before, independently and separately, I think, except maybe two I think Demons and obviously are new for this collection all of them have been released as singles otherwise so it's really collecting them all together Um, and it does a good job of doing that, it's actually nice to hear them all as a flow, as an EP Um, they all sort of blend into one another quite well and they've been sequenced pretty well Um, so the best way to describe Birgit Jones is blues metal I guess um, I would say that I think they said that their influences are really people like Queens of the Stone Age and um, and Royal Blood and stuff like that but I actually think they sound very similar to bands like Heart and Black Sabbath a little bit mm. um, so I would say it's more bluesy than perhaps they say but we've talked about that in a previous episode and they do listen to that stuff as well so maybe some of it blends in but um, It's just a really nice EP of like really six songs around three to four minutes in length, decent bass rift, blues rock music. Uh, My favorite on there is one called Secrets. I think that's got the most Sabbath-like riff there. Um, And the only sort of criticism I really have of the EP overall is, it's not really a criticism because I like, what I really like about Birgit Jones is that they keep things very real. It's very much just like a bassist with a lot of effects, a drummer and a singer. Um, and that's it. Um, so it does have this stripped back Royal Blood vibe to it, which is really cool. And I like that it is just that raw and real. So I don't want to sort of change that too much because that's the thing I really enjoy. But sometimes I do think they could actually do with more overdubs a more sort of overproduction of some things. Um, there's a little bit more on this EP than usual. There's a few like bits of harmony vocals here and there and a few little sort of whines of guitars and feedback bits and stuff like that. But on some of them, I actually would like to hear what it would sound like more, you know, with even fuller sort of production. Um, not that this isn't a good production. I'm just interested to hear what it would sound like with a few more things layered over. Um, and that, I guess, applies to the track Secrets, but that is still my favourite track. It would just be, uh, as I say, really interesting to hear what, that would sound like with uh, a bit of distortion on the vocals, like a bit of a telephone voice, for example, a bit more reverb in some places. Um, so, yeah, that would be cool. But overall, it's a really great little EP with some wonderful little refrains and choruses and certain melodies that get stuck in my head pretty well. And, uh, yeah, nice nice blend if you're into sort of Foo Fighters, Royal Blood, Queens of the Stone Age, but led by three wonderfully hilarious And just absolutely beautiful women. So um, check it out. Cheers to my haters, Birgit Jones.
3: It is time for our special guest.
1: Normally on the podcast, we talk to a bunch of musicians and uh, like to hear their stories and things, but very rarely do we actually get behind the scenes a little bit with real sort of gear nerds, of which one of them is the next guest, which is the wonderful Mihal, a friend of mine who's based in uh, Sweden as well. And we've known each other a few years now, right? And had way too many drunk times together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've met you like in my first month in Sweden. Like 2014 or something like that, we did this uh, uh, Malma Festivalen, well, yeah, 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 I
1: remember. Uh, um, and then since then, we've sort of talked gear and guitars and music, and we jammed together a couple of times, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I never quite realized how much of a guitar geek, and I mean that in a good way, you really are. Like sometimes you'll say things, I'm like, I don't know anymore i'll just sort of nod and pretend i know but it's really great to have a friend like that around who just knows all of this stuff so um welcome along to this episode of bpm pod mihal how the hell are you doing
0: i'm I'm doing great uh, it's uh you know all things considered i'm actually doing quite good so <laughs> i i enjoy working remotely i'm i'm you know quite fortunate that uh my work still exists and is doing fine. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's doing going good.
1: Um, so, we talked about this at the top of the episode, but you're on a journey with Ibi Register. Is this to document every guitar from Ibanez?
0: Yeah, it's it's just a tagline. I, I know it's probably impossible because they chug out more guitars, uh, you know, they they just dropped like 200 models this year, and I'm like not a, able to like you know cover that within 10 years or stuff like that. But it's it just you know it's good to have ambitious goals, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly, definitely. Where, where did the inspiration come from for this? I always really like Ibanez guitars, and I you know like buying stuff like every you know guitar players and, and so on. And I'm I always like collecting stuff as a person. But I figured it's not very useful and practical to have like collect 100 guitars because there are so many cool Ibanez guitars I want. And I figured by like documenting the the guitar or whatever, I can consider it mine and let it like go further like to somebody else. So basically buy guitars. I, I usually buy like guitars that have some issues and people want to get rid of them, fix them up because then it's basically like price ratio is really good. I make a video, I took some pics and you know, I have an Instagram and YouTube channel. And, uh, and usually I just sell it forward for like a small profit or maybe even not not a profit, but just basically it's like a self-financing hobby I, I get mm. to do. I work uh, on a computer on a day to day, I'm a software developer. It's really nice to have something just you know outside of computer screened. So just messing with guitars and, and so on, and that's how uh, like I, I figure out. And this this not this is not really my idea. There's like a YouTube channel called uh, Progly's Guitars or something like that, and he's doing similar thing around Gibson guitars and also now Fenders. But he's like really expert on Gibsons. Uh, so like I've I've seen this and I said, Oh yeah, that's something I could do. That's uh, you know, because I I I I didn't have a way like to, you know, handle this my uh, this wheel to hoard guitars and just buy mm. guitars and so on. This is kind of oh fix it for me. So mm. right now I have like eight ice guitars here. But probably like wow. four of them are on their way out. Like four of them I consider mine, but four of them are like, you know, uh, I already either made video of them or gonna do and just, you know, we'll uh, let them go to the wild world.
2: That's actually quite the reasonable number, right? Four to eight guitars. Like I was expecting, okay, I've got eight with me here and over there, there's my second house and there's like <laughs> 300.
0: <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, and and the guitars I have actually, uh, they're all different in some way. Like I have a baritone, I have a seven string, I have uh and I have two, like six strings and, you know, tuned differently. One has a fixed bridge, one has a like kind of Floyd Rose type of bridge. So they do different things and, and you know, and they come, oh, I have a bass also that I bought like. Last week, so I forgot about it. So make it nine. Mm. Yeah.
1: I like how you guitars. can have so many guitars you can just forget about one kind <laughs> of thing. <laughs> but, yeah, I forgot I had that. So, uh,
2: and that's, please that's do, please explain to all the girlfriends and boyfriends all over the world that you need to have multiple guitars for different like it this can do this, this can do this. Because my girlfriend never understands why I do need another guitar. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if she did I mean me. you can always find a reason to have another <laughs> <experiment>. <laughs>
2: it pretty cool that you're not only interested in all the old stuff because that's like usually what gear collectors do right if i think about gibson and fenders everybody wants to have like the 50s and 60s stuff and even in the synth world everybody wants to own a roland juno or whatever but you're actually looking forward to newer models and are eager to check them out that's pretty cool that's rare for guitar players right
0: yeah, I, I I like new stuff. I like what they're doing because uh, I'm I'm generally also like you know working with software. I'm very like tech nerd also, so I also like a new developments. But that's true. Like uh, guitar community is quite conservative in what they like, and the new things are kind of like frowned upon and uh, maybe not uh, always easily accepted. Uh, but there's there's also the same notion in Ibanez community, like. You want ninety eighty seven RG five fifty like that's that's what you want if you like want the ibanes or something like that like the late eighties early nineties Japanese stuff is or uh, early two thousand prestige are also like another group that guitars are like highly uh, you know uh, uh, sought for or whatever uh, right so there's also this thing around in an ibanes community but for me like. Yes, those guitars have uh, like historical significance. And uh, in my opinion, they're not built better, but there is this kind of mojo that they are. But I've seen enough like twisted necks from like 80s ibanezes to know that, you know, they build them better right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah.
1: So this is mainly, I got to say, a Chris episode, because I talk a lot. Normally asking about yeah. musical inspirations and stuff like that, but Chris is the one with the with the actual gear that is closely linked to the stuff you're interested in. So, um, I mean, I think you've even prepped pedals and things yes. like that on camera, which makes great podcast material for yeah. stuff to have on camera. But, but it is there. I'm going
2: to describe every last inch of my tube screamer. <laughs>
1: Please don't.
2: <laughs> 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 oh, that sounded weird, right? Um, okay. So, when Ash told me we were going to speak to an Ibanez aficionado, right? My first thought was, I'm sure he loves the gems. <laughs> then I checked out your YouTube channel and your Instagram channel. And what's the first thing I fucking read? I don't like gems. And I don't yeah. care about the new designs. <laughs> so, there goes my question. <laughs> Why? So, so, so. Basically a gem is a is a gem an RG? Basically, is it a, a, a version of an so, RG?
0: So uh, it's actually a cool story because uh the RG series is uh development of something that's called Roadster series that was like mid 80s eyeballs thing. Uh but it like highly morphed uh, between like 86 to 88. And actually RG is uh it was the RG550, that was the first like modern shaped RG is uh, a cheaper version of Jam. So uh, Steve Vai came with this idea that he wanted this like hard edges on the kind of super strut shape. Uh, he's wants this like paper fin neck uh, and so on. And, uh, you know, the designers at uh, American Ibanez uh, or a distributor Hoshina USA, they came up with that, uh, you know, they built that design and uh, yeah, he liked it. And that they made also like half a year later, they released like a cheaper model that was RG550. Uh, that was also guitar with like, you know, uh, HSH configuration, Floyd Rose, uh, the, the pickguard, and so on. But uh, instead of like being this, uh, and also in those flashy colors, because initial gems were like uh, green, uh, pink, and I think yellow. And, uh, you know, uh, those at times with those, like, super flashy uh, radioactive colors. And, uh, yeah, you need sunglasses to look at them if you have like, <laughs> one of those models with the finish uh, preserved, uh, you know, in a good condition. Because a lot of those uh, finish faded pretty badly in the sun. So, yeah, a modern RG is actually, uh, you know, kind of a modification of gem. But there was also a lot of history into that. Mm. And why I don't like gem, I basically, like, because the most typical gem right now is gem 7V, the white one with the, you know, uh, with the gold hardware and uh perloid pink card. And that's just not aesthetics I like. And, you know, the, the handle is kind of useless and, and so on. So it's just <laughs> like, I never really like how they look. But for all purposes, this is just another RG. Mm. So, you know. Uh, there are other RGs that I like more, and that's why I'm not really into gems. But I like what they do with the PIA model, the new kind of evolution of Steve Vai's signature guitar.
2: Was was uh, Vai the first one who ordered a seven-string model? The Universe was that a, a,
0: a gem variation? Uh, it's it not considered a gem variation, but yeah, it's a seven-string RG and. Uh, Yeah, it was the first mass-produced 7-string guitar in the world. And uh, Ibanez was the company that was first producing 7-string guitars, was the first company to mass-produce 8-string guitars and to mass-produce 9-string guitars. So they're really really into this. And, And actually, Universe was selling really badly and they stopped producing it. But then a couple guys from uh Korn band discovered those guitars and started playing them. And in the late nineties, it kind of exploded the seven string popularity. So I have this video about uh, Apex guitar, which is like uh, um, monkeys from Korn, uh, where I make this uh, te- thesis that basically Korn saved the seven string guitar for business.
3: Steve Vai originally introduced the guitar onto the market and uh, what he was using it for was more technical stuff and um, I, wasn't, I wasn't really that type of player so I, uh, I wanted to take it to a different direction and um, use it for playing real heavy chords or bouncing back and forth.
1: But it's really in depth, and it's really sort of well researched, and like what my wife would probably call, because she knows all of this stuff, a micro. Inf- You're a micro influencer, Michal, like on these really <laughs> niche
0: topics, like which is great. Yeah, I'm a proper nerd, and the reason it started for me is um, uh, when I was growing in Poland, uh, in Gdynia. Uh, the the guitar store that was near my school was actually like official distributor of Ibanez in Poland. Like there were also the, the company that was running that guitar store was also official uh, distributor. So always had a lot of Ibanez guitars and uh, my best like uh, guitar playing buddy also has Ibanez so I also like okay I want the same guitar so it's like spending hours in that store and just stealing catalogs and just like you know flipping through them. And then I realized like the Model numbers, they have like those numbers and they kind of like there are some patterns there and I've just started to figure out those patterns and just like digging deep. Uh, and then when the internet came up or like became more popular, I just digged up into forums and so on. And yeah, now have been doing this for like 15, maybe close to 20 years. So now like, you know, I I know uh, too much about Ibanez. So it's actually nice to be able to now uh, release that in some way, in a creative way.
2: And can you, can you guess how many uh, guitars you probably had at this point? Like Irones guitars, resold and sold and…
0: Uh, I've done it even before, I did YouTube channel, so I think it's around 30.
2: <laughs> and how many like, like, do you regret selling?
0: uh some of them yeah but uh but not so much like the especially the the, the fact that I'm making videos uh that I kind of have them like documented and so on and I know they wanted to like you know good hands I don't so much but this uh kind of destroyer shape uh, iconus from the 85 that kind of looks has this like kind of uh, Pantera vibes because it's also like a blue and so on it has this weird burst that's like white on outside instead of like black. Uh, that was a really cool guitar, but also really hard to like play in a sitting position. And mm-hmm. I'm in the wheelchair, I'm in a wheelchair, so it's like really you know, it's important that the guitar is comfortable in a sitting position. So cool. it's it was an awesome guitar to look at. It was extremely rare, but I just nearly ever played it. And because it had a, such a small body, you could actually like, hear the, um, the springs from the Floyd rose just uh, resonating all the time because wow. it didn't have enough mass. And that was also really annoying for me. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Any you've looked at so far that you've genuinely disliked? We just talked about one you regret, sort of not regret getting rid of, but that you really remember fondly. Have there been sort of any you've come across or reviewed so far where you're like, eh, this just isn't that good?
0: So that, uh, not really in an extreme way, but I was quite disappointed with that uh, Apex guitar uh you know, the corn uh, signature. But it's, it's kind of like a lower-tier Indonesian model, so the expectations weren't super high. Uh, but it just it has this weird Gibson-style fixed bridge. And basically, it was really hard to intonate because it was seven-string guitar, so it's already <laughs> intonation units pretty wide uh, range for intonate all the seven strings. And it, this bridge has a very, very narrow intonation range. And it also didn't have this kind of punch that you know guitars with like heavy bridge have like you know you have like a bridge that's a heavy piece of metal that's like well attached to the body, you kind of have this sustain and the the guitars have this like punch uh, so you know it's also um, so even though uh, you know it was like seven string guitar tuned to A and so on, it kind of I couldn't make it sound like you know heavy and punchy. So, mm-hmm.
1: what ibanets do you have, Chris? What guitars have you got?
0: I own
2: the RGD Invisible Shadow seven-string. I think that was the first RGD model, but I think Michal can correct me if I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, this sh- the one with the float, the float, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I put
2: EMGs yep. in it, but yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think uh, it's uh, a our-
2: seven-string baritone.
0: Uh, it's RGD twenty one twenty seven Z. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Ibanez gets a lot of crap for their names. Uh, I actually love them because from the name you can actually get a lot of information about specification, like you know, pickup configuration, type of bridge you have, and so on. But they also I would imagine while... that
2: a software engineer likes numbers and yeah. letters and everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, exactly. But also, uh, I like that you said that you have Ibanez prestige because for me, I think like when people talk about Gibson, uh, they will say that they have like Gibson like uh, standard or USA or you know Gibson like uh, Les Paul Deluxe or whatever. And those guitars also have model numbers. If you look into like certificate authenticity, it's gonna be like H twenty seven something something. They, they have those crazy numbers. They just don't market it. I think my ibans could do like more about saying, okay, you have RG Prestige, or you have like RG, you know, standard series, which is standard. In Gibson it's like the the highest thing, and in Ibanez is just standard. It's normal model. Mm. Or you have like RG Geo, which is like kind of um, entry. Didn't they but do yeah, it with ca- the Iron Label? Yeah, Iron Label is, for example, like kind of standard level series for, uh, and they say it's like for metal guitars, the mo- oh, right. for metal guitar players, yeah. But those are fairly affordable guitars and they just, you know, focus on like metal players. So they quite often will have like high outputs, active or passive pickups and so on. The kind of stylistics for uh, metal players and so on. But uh, coming back for to your RGD. RGD is like development of RG series that they kind of change a shape to have like this kind of beveled edges. And it's kind of much more modern looking. I really like what they did with it. It is, it is baritone. Every model from RGD series are twenty six and half inch scale, so it's already considered baritone. So they take low tunings really well.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, yeah, the Z in the name stands for the uh, Edge zero bridge, which is kind of controversial uh, improvement to the Floyd Rose bridge that it has kind of those second pair of springs that dampen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when this thing comes by. So, right. for example, for like guitar plays that like doing 80s stuff this bridge won't flutter won't do this kind of fluttering sounds that you do if mm-hmm. you can modify it to do it but in the default default setup it will not so yeah that's why when i saw that bridge so like you know double humbucker and so on i i knew exactly what the model is
2: <laughs> <laughs> what i like most about the uh, uh, the bridge is that you can um uh, tighten and loosen the 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 springs with the wheel without um, yeah. getting off the the fucking lid
0: yeah that's also like a part of this uh Z- zps system they call it so zero point system but yeah basically you don't have to like mess with those springs and just you know screw drive yeah. you could just move that thumb wheel i think it's a really great uh yeah you know uh upgrade Save my a couple of times <laughs>
2: Yeah. And would you like, in comparison to a standard Floyd Rose, because because that was would be the obvious like opposite to the to the to the Ibanez uh, tremolo? Which one would do you like better? Which one would you consider like more stable?
0: So I think original uh, German Floyd's uh, and uh, the Japanese Edge bridges are like you know they're both like the the top you know notch in terms of uh, Floyd Rose. The, the important part in the the kind of floating tremolo thing is the knife edges, so those uh, pieces that touch the the posts uh, of the guitar, because if they're if they're not you know knife edge uh, thin and uh, sharp, that's when the you know issues start coming uh, to uh, you know, to to play. The the guitar is not coming back to the pitch and so on, mm. and. And those like Japanese and uh, German made floats, this is like, you know, high quality uh, steel and this will take a lot of time for it to wear off. Whereas in like more affordable models of those uh, guitars, the kind of metal quality is not so good. So it will work fine for a year to maybe five, depending on your... uh, you know usage, but at some point it will be just you will not be able to do anything with it. You just have to like replace the remote because they don't even have replaceable knife edges. And those uh, and cool feature about the Ibanez bridges—they have replaceable knife edges. So even though they are like uh, they're already high quality, you can still like replace this ju- just this one part. Uh, although they are really hard to buy on the, you know anywhere in the market, and they're like. Um, not many distributors have them, so I would say it's like theoretical capability. Like it's really hard to actually implement that, but let's say it's there. So uh, the iBurst Edge and the Low Pro Edge, which is like a low-profile version, they just made made a different construction around the fine-tuners. In my opinion, like you know, one of the best implementation of the Floyd Rose patent because they basically. Used the Floyd Rose patent and they paid royalties for many years until it expired. And uh, basically, yeah, it's the same kind of concept.
2: Mm -hmm. And going from like heavy metal stuff to the softer side, Ibanez also releases every year a couple of acoustics and basses. And I think there was a series called Artcore, which was semi acoustics, right? I knew a guy once who played one and it was pretty cool. So, what are your thoughts on those models?
0: Yeah, I I so far I focus on solid body guitars in my uh, in my kind of research and I'm I don't actually know super lot about uh, you know semi hollows and acoustic guitars uh, that I want to make. But there is a series called Artcore and and uh, to be honest I don't have any practical experience. But I know iPod is actually have a quite a long history of guitars like that, because one of the first signature models they did was George, George Benson signature in the seventies, which is like a big jazz box. It's actually the most expensive, uh, guitar they produce uh, like, you know, in a regular production, uh, the George Benson signature. Dang. Uh, uh and they're producing it like, I think since seventies. So they don't probably do a lot of numbers of them, but uh it's like a big large jazz box like you know proper so i think gb 10
2: yeah 3000 uh. euros jesus christ yeah. <laughs> yeah. looks great though i uh...
0: I remember uh, when playing with Ashley, you have this uh, Epiphone, uh, you know, kind of ES style
1: guitar. The dot, and yeah. It's um, 335. It's been put away at the minute, but yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I remember I really had a lot of fun with it, especially putting it through Metal Zone.
1: Yeah. But I know I love that guitar. I really, really do, actually. No, I think there's a lot of fun to be had in the whole like semi uh, acoustic, like semi hollow. Like electric guitar field,
0: but um, yeah, yeah, but for the you know, like kind of classic rock and roll, rockabilly stuff, and so on, and also blues, I think you know, it's really nice sound guitars. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I like haven't really explored in my life, and Ibonus is not doing a lot of that, but there are some guitars like P90 pickups, there's like a lot of people, you know, have a nice opinion about P90 pickups and I never mm. tried any of that so that's you know also on the bucket list that's like another guitar I need <laughs>
2: Let's talk about the arguably most famous pedal of all, the Tube Screamer by Ibanez. Is it originally Ibanez or is it Maxon or
0: Teisco? So so, um, Ibanez generally doesn't produce anything. They don't own any factory. They're just basically a brand. So uh, for their Japanese guitars, they are produced in Fujian factory. And Fujian factory, even main business is not guitar. Their main business is like wooden dashboards for uh, luxury cars. And they happen to also do guitars, uh, which, you know, <laughs> fun fact. <laughs> and, you know, their Indonesian guitars are made by Court, which is also another, like, you know, big producer of guitars. And their electronics were always made by Maxson until, like, you know, maybe uh, mid-90s. So the original Tube Screamer is just basically a design that they ordered. We want the pedal, and Maxson designed it. and. Uh, Produce under uh, Ibanez brand and also produced under Maxon brand also. So um, this gets into interesting discussion about like branding and how brand impacts value. Because Maxon tube tube screamers are like significantly less value than Ibanez tube screamers, but they're basically the same. It's the same board, same uh, you know uh, box produced by the same people in the same place. Uh, with just different sticker on it uh right. so yeah that that was it so a lot of electronic experience by ibanez was made by maxim a lot of pickups uh you know like preamps uh, and guitars uh, uh and so on then um i saw you have the other pedal the kind of uh the gray uh tone lock kind of serious thing
2: i've got the de7 with me
0: yeah uh, the de 7 is probably the most uh Known and the favorite model from that series. Yeah, and I think it's it's a series of pedals like produced around uh, early two thousands, and I think they're like very un, um you know undervalued. They're really cheap generally, apart from the E seven. The E seven actually holds value pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> and they're really nice pedals in terms of like you know you get uh, all right you have like you get your phasers uh, distortions uh, you know uh, delays and so on they're fairly the cheap crusher. yeah they're uh, they're fairly cheap and they you know high quality they're really well built they have this kind of feature that you can hide the knobs so you don't step on them and i don't know i just they didn't. They weren't marketing success. They're pretty cheap on the secondhand market, and you know <laughs> they look uh, fuck ugly. They look fuck ugly. That's
2: true. <laughs> <laughs> for maybe for the listeners who've never played an Ibanez guitar or want to start making music, want to buy their first, where should they start? I, I know there's like a, there's like the beginner, whatever it's called, a beginner series. There's the premium models, right, and there's the prestige models. So apart from this this the, the price uh, gaps and, and serious like what model would be a good model in your opinion for someone who wants to get started with some metallica for example
0: so if if you're totally beginners into guitar i would avoid like cheap guitars with the floyd rose type tremolo. just get a fixed bridge and don't worry about it right now you can do most of the stuff for Metallica with just doing bands. You don't need that trim. Mm-hmm. I know it's fun, but it's just going to give you so much frustration initially. Mm-hmm. And so,
2: I wish someone told me that 15 years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> me too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, they're like... Actually, the the Indonesian R G series is like this really good, like I think sweet spot for like uh, quality and uh, and uh, you know the price. So, for example, the, the Iron Label mentioned series you mentioned, they kind of have this uh, metal stylistics. So you're not gonna get pink or you know yellow guitar. It's gonna be proper black with like you know nice high output pickups. So, get some like, you know, fixed bridge with double humbuckers from this, and, and you're going to be golden. So.
1: Awesome. Cool. Cool. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, For, thank you. you. <laughs> uh, so it was
0: fun. I always like talking gear,
1: so just, you know. Uh, we couldn't tell. I have no idea. So with, as you know, compiling our Desert Island playlist, songs that we would love to listen to if we're stuck on a desert island. We're not going big into reasons why, just going to stick them on there and press shuffle and enjoy them. Uh, So far, we've got a couple on there. But what are you adding to the Desert Island playlist?
2: I am adding this week, Porcupine Trees, Time Flies.
1: Nice. Yes. Good. That's a good choice.
2: Oh, you know that one?
1: Yeah. Cool.
2: It is from the Incident album, Um, from when was that? I think 2005, right? I don't know. Uh, 2009, okay, cool. And it's a pretty long one. I think it's one of their more proggy, progressive kind of songs. 11 minutes and 40 seconds. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm has like this awesome, awesome, awesome acoustic guitar riff that uh, goes through the whole song. And it gets turned around by uh, Gavin Harrison switching up the rhythm and whatever. That's awesome. And then there's a huge ass big, uh, like mellow ambient kind of part in the middle. And then it goes back to like every good prog rock song should, goes back to the beginning, back to the main riff, and then fades out. And I love nice. that one so much because to me, and that's gonna sound maybe weird, it sounds like summer, like, uh, I don't, I don't know. When, I, whenever I listen to that song, I imagine like a, like a, like a summer evening, not 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 yet dawn, but going towards dawn. You know what I'm saying? Mm, it's mm, a, it's mm. weird to describe, like on a in, a in a back, like on a street maybe in the suburbs, and it's it's. It's a hot summer day and it's slowly getting dark. I don't know. That's, that's what, I, what I'm picturing when I hear that song. I don't know if it, hmm. Wilson intended it to sound that way, but that's where my mind goes.
1: And my submission is going to be the one I mentioned earlier. Uh, Garden, Jesus Christ pose, because I think you've got to have some angry, noisy stuff when you're on that desert island too, <laughs> when you've run out of coconuts. Uh, you need to get angry. Cool. That's, that's all for this week's episode. And uh, thank you very much, Chris, as always. Thank you, Ashley.
2: Oh, 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 hang on, hang on. I yesterday I had mm-hmm. an awesome observation. Go on. While I was playing Tomb Raider, I don't know. <laughs> I just started playing Tomb Raider. You know, we have we have something in common, dude.
1: Go on. What is it?
2: <laughs> our our first names, Ashley and Chris, are also women's names. They are. That's that awesome, true. right? I don't, I don't know if that is, has any benefit for us, but I thought it was cool.
1: I don't think it does. But uh, <laughs> next time we're going to talk to a French guy on the next episode called Olivier. And uh, I found him on YouTube, and he does some really cool finger picking style guitar songs. So uh, he's going to be the next one uh, on the episode. But until then, have a lovely week and uh, whatever it is you're doing, stay safe, stay lucky, and uh, we'll speak to you soon.